Good morning, everyone. It is a privilege for Nobi and I to be here once again uh, today. Uh, we have really enjoyed our time here this last week, getting to know a number of you that we didn't know before and renewing acquaintances. And uh, I guess this will probably be about the last time that we will see you for possibly two years, four years. If the Lord works it out, we'll be back in a couple and be able to, to touch base again. Um, I'm going to let my wife share a little bit this morning. We're, we're going to see a uh, little DVD, but a number of people have wondered how I met this wonderful lady. And so uh, just so you can get to know her a little bit, and I think maybe as I tell you this story, it will enlighten you a little bit as to who she is. But uh, I was going attending Biola College down in uh, Los Angeles. I was a member of the CIA. That stood for Celibates in Action. Uh, I was going to be a missionary with New Tribes Mission. My face was set aflint. I was not going to let anything get in my way, in, including a cute little Hawaiian girl. But um, I had to serve at a banquet. I had worked all night the night before. Uh, had to go to classes all morning the next morning. And I remember as soon as class was out, I went straight to my room, uh, went to sleep, and the cl alarm clock went off at 4 o'clock, and I'm supposed to go serve at a banquet. And I thought, should I do this? Can I get out of it? And I thought, no. I made a commitment to this guy. I'll, I'll go ahead and serve and come right back and, and hit the sack. So we're in there, and I'm in the uh, salad line. And we're preparing these salads. The first guy puts little uh, little you know, the lettuce on the plate, the next one, some cold cuts, and then I'm supposed to sprinkle nuts on the plates. So they get up there, and, and Nobi was one of the servers, and they're starting to come through, and they're telling us, you guys, rush. We, we've got to get going. The, the ones that are coming, 800 foreign students from the greater Los Angeles area, they're coming in. We've got to hurry up. So uh, we started speeding the process up, and I came up with an ingenious idea. Soon as the the tray came, I went ahead and got a handful of nuts and just kind of tossed them out there. Well, that made more work for the servers. So the third time through, this beautiful young lady, whom I've never seen, reaches across and slaps my hand. <laughs> and I figure if she's going to slap me, I'm going to give her a reason to. So I reach across and pull her over and kiss her. No, I didn't. I... I desperately wanted to, but I refrained. One of my wiser choices in life. She got my attention, and she has had it up to the present time. So uh, anyway, it's just a little bit of... What's that? How many years? 36 years this year. 36 years. And it's just starting, brother. It's getting better. Anyway... What we're going to do is we're going to show uh, a quick little video here. It will, it will show a little bit of what we've been doing the past 10 years. Uh, let me just give, for those of you, I know a number of you are here that were not here last week. Let me just state very briefly. My wife and I served in the country of Papua New Guinea for approximately uh, 30 years. We went out and moved out into the middle of the jungle with an extremely primitive tribal group called the Bisodio. And today at the present time, there are five churches scattered out in the hills of Bisodio land. They've got the New Testament translated into their language. They love the word of God. 
At the end of it, uh, Sam, there's, there's a, just a few pictures. After the music stops, there's a few pictures of our grandchildren. And my wife is going to be introducing you to them. So please let it play through till the end, okay? Uh, we'll go ahead and see that now and then we'll go on.
<laughs> Good morning. Um, it's such an honor and a privilege for me to be here this morning. Um, I just love the worship, and um, I just want you guys to know how blessed you are to be able to come freely into this building and worship God. Don't ever let a day pass that you thank God for the freedom to have a Bible in your own language that you can understand. If you don't, you have other translations that will help you. When we go to the jungles of Papua New Guinea, I will miss this. I will miss being able to just stand together with people, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to worship God in English. I um, I just want you to know that um, in my step, my first, my step of faith. My first step of faith began when I was seven years old in Hawaii, where I was born and raised. And at seven years old, in the summer, at vacation Bible school, it finally clicked. And I finally understood that I needed Jesus Christ. And the verse that has always been very special, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and it is a gift of God, freely given to me. And I still remember this this story that day. It was about the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep. And I remember the craft that day. We had to put cotton balls on these little sheep. And from then on, I began taking more steps, all by faith, just trusting the Lord to just work in my life. Never once did I doubt that I was in Christ, that I was a sinner saved by grace. Um, my next huge step of faith um, was when I was 20 years old, after this wonderful man, <laughs> well, I guess it was a year after this wonderful man slapped my hand, Oh, you slapped my head. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. I did the kissing part. Okay. <laughs> that was um, my next huge step of faith. And I, we don't have time to go into it, but it wasn't until the night before that I, I was sure that this is God's will for my life. And I just got to tell you people... I have never regretted that. I am so thankful to God that God brought this wonderful man into my life. And I truly believe that God created Bob and he created me for each other. And at that point, I truly, truly, without question, know that God decided that he could get the greatest glory from us being able to serve together. And when I said yes to Bob, that was a huge step of faith. Because by saying yes to Bob, that meant saying yes to tribal missions, like to the ends of the earth. And I had always been interested in missions. Um, I just want to put a little plug here. When I was a child growing up in Hawaii, our church had missionaries come through. 
And I think that is very good, especially for your children, to expose them to the need. So I always knew that there were people outside of America that didn't know Jesus Christ. So I think that's really, really important because I'm, I'm very thankful for our church to be able to expose us to missions. And so I've always wanted to serve God. But after we left Hawaii, we went to Washington State. And I thought maybe I could serve God in Mexico because it was real close and my parents could come and visit. I'm the only daughter with three brothers. And the thought of going far away just wasn't something that I was thinking. But praise God, he took me to the ends of the earth with a wonderful husband. And there again, got on the plane all by faith with my husband, our two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and I was expecting at the time. And we went to Papua New Guinea. And all of you know what a wonderful um, life we had there. But it was still, it was all about faith, steps of faith. I think about another huge step of faith was putting your child, our daughters on the plane, the little mission plane, um, to go away to school. They were like in fourth grade and sixth, sixth grade, all by faith, just trusting God that this was the right thing to do and just no regrets. And every day it's just been just amazing. Fast forward to two years ago um, when Bob came home and um, shared with me that he had cancer and that the doctors told him that doesn't look very good. And I remember we got on our knees and we just said, okay, God, by faith, by faith, because that's all we had. By faith, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you in this. And he was so gracious, so gracious. And my husband, God, um, healed him. And he had just a miraculous recovery. And we really believed that. The whole cancer thing for us wasn't about us having to go through all of that. He just wanted to get our attention. That's all it was. God decided he needs something really, really, you know, um, strong, really, really specific to get our eyes on him. It was just like a, you know, and he said, okay, <laughs> I got something for you. I have, I have something for you, and I want you to be listening. And so for the next two years, by faith, every place we would go, because we traveled to all these countries, every place we went, Bob and I would just stop and say, okay, Lord, is this where you want us to go? And he'd always close the door. And then um, earlier this year, Bob comes home for a meeting. We were in Papua New Guinea. And he said to me, honey, what would you think about starting all over and, and going into the jungle and going into a new tribe? And learning a language, a new language, and translating the New Testament, and planning another church. And you know what? Just because we're taking these baby steps of faith, it's just obedience just sort of is all God wants you to, to do. When God asked you to do something, and it was just so clear because we were so listening. And I think that is so important. Because it wasn't about, you know, figuring out how in the world at our age, Baba just turned 60, at our age we're going to be able to possibly do this again. We were in our 20s when we went to the field. But God was so gracious, and it just made it so clear. And we just had such peace. 
So going to Papua New Guinea again is just a huge step of faith for us. And I just want to say that we're going to be okay. It's not, there's no problem here. And as a body, you need to be assured of that. And I just would like to ask all of you to pray for us that our faith would not fail. In the same way that Jesus Christ prayed for his disciples, please pray for us. Because I will get lonely sometimes. It'll be difficult. Um, It's going to be hard. I know that. Even though we've done this before, I know it's going to be hard. Jesus, God didn't say life was going to be easy just because we obey. It's just, it doesn't work that way. So I know. But just as the first song in this video says, when it's all said and done, what's the most important thing? Is living our lives. Did I live my life for Christ? I love the greatest commandment that Jesus gave to us. What is it? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, everything that is within you. Just love God. So I ask you, pray that that we will love God with all our heart. Because if I'm loving God, if we are loving God with all our heart, then we'll be able to love each other. Okay? Ladies, I'm just like you. And I don't have the perfect husband. (laughs) And he doesn't have the perfect wife. But when we're loving God, we'll respond with love and kindness, and that's so important. And I want you to understand that we're going into Satan's battlefield. He will do everything he can to keep us from learning a new language so that we can translate this language into the, translate the Bible. He doesn't want us to do that. And Satan will do everything he can, and he doesn't play fair. So I ask that you pray for us. Pray that we will just keep loving God and do the right thing and just focus on him. And you saw my grandkids. And I just have a special request. I will miss my grandkids. Being apart from my grandkids is not fun. It's hard. But you know what? I figure if it's God's will for my life to be with my grandkids, I would be with my grandkids. Right? So moms and dads and grandparents, pray for us. Just because we are going to the ends of the earth doesn't mean that we have all this amazing courage to be able to do the hard things. It's really, really difficult. And I'm sorry, I'm crying, but I just want you guys to know that we just really appreciate there's going to be times when we're in the jungles that we'll just need the Lord's hugs and encouragement, and we'll remember you. We'll remember that you are here praying for us, that we will stand strong, and we need that. We need that very much. And thank you again. Thank you for being partners with us and seeing the Malamanda people have the New Testament and seeing a mature church planted there in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. I, like you, would much rather listen to her. But... (laughs) 
<laughs> but unfortunately, you're going to have to listen to me, so at least act interested, okay? Um, the verse, uh, the last verse that was read this morning during the scripture reading in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, uh, reads, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And that really is our prayer as we're heading over to Papua New Guinea. Um, finish the race and complete the task. And, and our prayer is, is that we finish it well. And, and we're going to be praying the same thing for you folks here. Uh, you are in the same battle that we are in. And you have the same temptations, only maybe more than, than we have there. It's, it's going to be a little bit different. But that is our prayer, that we can finish well the task of, of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Are we going to be sharing a, a little bit here this morning, and then at the end we're going to have a question and answer time, so I'm going to try to keep my eyes on that little clock back there and, and allow some time for that. But I'm going to talk just a little bit about, about decisions, decisions that we can make. Uh, one, one decision that I made when I was attending... Uh, Grace Bible Church, and it was a foolish one. I, I had gone off to New Tribes Missions Training. I had been there for three months. I had, I had gotten engaged to Noblin here in uh, Redwood City the week before I went off to the training. That was back in 1971. Hmm, Thank you. It was a long time ago. Uh, went back there, spent three months, knew I was going to have to go through the training again with Nobi when we got married. So I went ahead and, and dropped out and wanted to make a little bit of money uh, before we got married. And so on my way home from Wisconsin, I drove by Seattle, Washington and uh, went to Seattle. And here they did not know Bob Kennel. They did not know New Tribes Mission, but they knew Noblin Alohalani Spray. And they wanted to know who this guy was that was going to be marrying her. So they said, Bob, would you like to speak in church on Sunday? And I said, sure, sure, what, man, why not? Chance to impress my future in-laws, my future bride-to-be. Problem was, I had never delivered a message before in my life. I didn't know where to begin, but I put the message together. Sunday morning rolls around, and it, it was mainly a, a Japanese congregation, sweetest folks that you could find on the earth. And I went up there and stood up in the pulpit, and in 10 minutes... I had gone over the entire message three times. And I remember being up there, and I'm telling you the honest truth. Perspiration begins rolling down my forehead. And I'm looking out, and everything is beginning to turn yellow. And then I went into the weave, back and forth, and things then started going from yellow to black. And I had to stand there and say, I am very sorry but either I am going to sit down or pass out. And a kind Japanese gentleman came up and took my hand and walked me down to the front row where in great humiliation I had to endure the rest of the service. At the end of that time, we had the, the closing song. I stood up and started to bobble again. They walked me outside, brought me back in at the end, 
took me to the back of the church and he said, I know everyone's going to want to thank you for your message (laughs) this morning. And I remember going back there and these sweet, wonderful Japanese people coming up there and shaking my hand and saying, oh, Mr. Kettle, that was the most wonderful message I've ever heard. And I remember thinking, oh, you little hypocrite, that was the worst thing that you've absolutely ever heard. And I don't know how we ever made it, you guys. I was honestly ready to throw in the towel. I know she was ready to throw in the towel right then. By God's grace, she did marry me. Uh, One of the decisions I regret making, why didn't I just come back to Redwood City? But anyway, we can't go back on that. Um, On our way down here, uh, we, we were in meetings down in Florida Went up to uh, Seattle, got my wife's mother's car. She graciously let us drive it down here. We're coming down and uh, spent the night in uh, Klamath Falls in uh, Oregon. So anyway, we're up there and, and that night turned on TV and turned on ESPN. And they showed a little program called the 50 Greatest Bloopers, 50 Greatest Sports Bloopers. I remember one of them was Jose Canseco going out for a fly ball at the warning path. The ball hits him on the head, bounces over the fence for a home run for the opposition. Another one, a guy scooped up a, uh, an, a fumble, ran it 90 yards the wrong way, and, you know, scored for the other team a couple points. Um... The one that stood out to me was one that I had actually seen in in real life. In in 2006, a young lady named Lindsay Jacobellis. I don't know if any of you happened to see the Winter Olympics back in uh, in 2006, but I remember very distinctly she had trained. You know, they did one of these little highlights on her life, and she had trained and trained and was living for that gold medal, and she was the best. She was undoubtedly the best at this snowboarding event. She, As she's doing her final run, she's in first place. And she goes up one last jump, soars up into the air. And she did an amazing thing, you guys. She hot-dogged. All she had to do, way ahead of the second, second place uh, snowboarder, all she had to do was land and slide across the finish line. Instead, up in the air, she hot dogs, she reaches down, does a toe grab, comes back up, loses her balance, falls to the snow, and as she's sliding toward the finish line, the second place snowboarder zoomed past her. A decision, you guys, A decision that ended up being a foolish one. And and the way that they wrote about it, all Lindsay had to do was finish strong and sports immortality would be hers. For whatever reason, though, she lost her concentration just long enough to ruin everything. She made a decision that cost her that cost her the gold medal, the thing that she had been living for and striving for for years. Um, this morning, we're going to read about the Apostle Paul. And, and he had a decision to make as well. 
he was on his second missionary journey. Please turn with me. Acts chapter 16. And I want to read to you verses 6 through 9. The Apostle Paul has, is partway through his second missionary journey. Um, and let's, let's read over the, this text and, and then we'll come back and I want to talk about it a little bit. It says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Halfway through, he's forbidden from preaching in a number of places where he's gone. And you know what? He's traveled by boat. He's walked. He's walked along dusty, dirty roads. No one coming to the Lord. No exciting results. And you know what he could have done? He could have, with honor, gone back home. He could have gone back to the good food back home, gone back to the good life, left the traipsing around, left the lack of response that he was receiving. Uh, but you know what? Then he had a vision, and he had a decision to make. The vision said, come over to Macedonia and help us. God gave him a vision and he responded to it. And God tremendously, tremendously used the life of that man. In obedience, Paul went to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and he made contact in Ephesus for a future visit. As a result of Paul responding to the Spirit of God, as a result of him being obedient to the vision that he received, men and women in all of these cities responded to the gospel message, responded to the Spirit of God. Churches were established. People who had previously not understood the gospel message became believers in Jesus Christ. They passed from darkness to light, and they came to enjoy the truths of God's word just like you and I have the opportunity to do week after week, day after day. They, they learned about the Lord and then later on even had the, the word of God in their language that they could read. But you know what I wonder? What would have happened had Paul not gone? Have you ever thought about that? The, the, the letters that he wrote to Philippi, Ephesus, Thessalonica, the, the word of God, which we have now. What if he hadn't gone? What if he said, you know what? This trip is really not panning out like I thought it would. What if he had cashed it in and gone back home? What if, he, if that was decision that he would have made? Um, 
I remember when, uh, when my wife and I were in the tribe and the Besorio people came to Christ. They had an excitement for the word of God. They didn't have a lot of it. Back at that time, I was, it was all I could do to stay ahead of George in the translation process and we're trying to turn out material and he's preparing new lessons and they're, they're hearing new truths. And we were teaching them from the book of Acts. We're teaching them about how Paul traveled on from place to place and he shared the good news of Jesus Christ and, and people came to him. And the Besodia said, well, well, we've got to do the same thing. We, we've got to go out and we've got to share because there's a whole nation of Besodios out there that don't know the truth. And we said, okay, you guys pray about it and we're going to use it as a, as a discipleship thing. We will go with you and, and we'll take off. And they, why did they chose this place? I don't know. A week's walk away through the jungle. One of the farthest locations out in Besorio land. And so George and I got ready and we got food ready and, and we sent some Besodios out there and we told them we're going to come. Word came back. Well, who are you going to share with? Because there's, there's no people here. There's, there's just maybe two families. And so we prayed about it and, and we actually waited a little bit longer. And then we said, we are going to come. So, so you guys get ready. And we sent word out again. We are coming. And again, they said, who are you going to talk to? Are you going to talk to the trees? Are you going to talk to the dogs? Because there's no people here. Maybe five people, maybe seven. And we said, we got together with our leaders and we said, if that's all God gives us is five or, or seven people, then we'll share with them. Man, that's cool. That's If that's all he gives us. So we got together and generally, and, and again, you guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Generally, I loved our trips out into the jungle with the Besodios. I really did. It was, it was tremendous times making friendships with them. And, and now they're believers in Christ. Now they're our brothers and sisters. And so we're getting ready. And I'm thinking about six weeks away. And I'm thinking about my beautiful little Hawaiian wife and my two little daughters. And man, I wasn't looking forward to it. I, I honestly wasn't. It was the first time that I really had hesitation about taking off and, and hiking through the jungle. And uh, I remember day one, we're, we're hiking along and all day through this swamp. And I had some brand new jungle boots that I hadn't worn before, ended up with five or six blisters on each foot. And I mean, each step at the end of the day was hurting. It starts pouring rain. They, they gave us the ideal location right at the edge of this, this little lean-to where the grass was softest. But unfortunately, it started pouring rain and the rain is coming down right straight down onto my sleeping bag. I'm laying there in a pool of water. George and I both, there's no nice way of saying this. We both came down with diarrhea that night. You guys, it was miserable. It was miserable. And I turned to George and I said, George, six weeks of this and we're on day one. And every time we'd go out to go down the hill, the mosquitoes were swarming us right at the edge of the swamp. I wanted to go home. I did. I wanted to go back home. And we got together and we prayed and we encouraged one another in the Lord. And we said, man, what kind of testimony would it be to our believers if we went back now? Let's keep going. And, and we did. And we got there. And you know what, you guys? It wasn't seven people. God brought in 28 people. 
And then uh, this one fellow there, it was the saddest sight I've ever seen. Out in the middle of the jungle, an old man named Monoa. And he heard we were coming, and some of the guys from his area were coming over to Mahamba, where we were going to teach. Monoa said, man, you guys, I want to come. They said, how are you going to make it? He said, carry me. And they did. They literally put him in this string bag and carried him three days. Blind man. He's blind. Carried him three days to the jungle. And I remember going up there to the house and, and the Besorio said, man, we've got some good news for you. Monoa came. I didn't know who Monoa was, but they said he's, he's blind and, and he came here because he wants to hear the teaching. I said, man, that's great. And I went over there and they said, but we got to tell you something. What's that? He can't hear. I said, what do you mean he can't hear? They said, we don't know. He's got some kind of an infection and he just can't even hear. So we got out the needles and started giving him shots and, but it was so sad, you guys, to see this man with this cane, blind, and he'd go out in the jungle to relieve himself. I remember one time he got lost, and, and we found him and brought him back in, and he'd kneel down, and he'd be sitting there, and he'd eat his food, and the dogs would be around, and anything that would fall, they'd just gobble it up. Saddest thing I've ever seen, a, a blind Besorio living out in the jungle. Um, anyway, we began teaching and, and after a couple of weeks, the people up there got so excited. They said, you guys, you've got to give us about three days off from the teaching. And I mean, they wanted it morning and evening. Uh, we were thinking of going five days a week. They said, that's not enough. We, we want a, another session Saturday morning. We'll get our food over the weekend. But they said, we want some time off because we're going to go get the other Besorios that are living around here. They've got to hear this. You're, you're telling us about God. You're, we, we never knew about him. So let us get more. The numbers swelled from 28 to 60. And I remember the day that we presented the gospel after being up there for six weeks, the day we presented the gospel, little Mona was down there and, and, and people were coming to Christ and Mona was sat there and he said, man, he said, you mean to tell me I've just got to believe I've just got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He took my place so that I could be a child of God. I've, I've just got to believe that. And we said, Monoa, that's right. Huge smile. Huge smile. And he said, Bob, I believe it. Oh, I didn't tell you. After two weeks of teaching, two weeks of teaching, we're sitting there and we're going through and we got up to the to going through chronologically where Moses was crossing the Red Sea and along to the message. Monoa hasn't been coming. He can't hear anything. Out comes Monoa and he comes walking over there and Mauiba came up to me and he said, I know why Monoa is coming now. I know why he's coming because I've been here before and I taught these people up to Moses crossing the Red Sea. He didn't need to hear the rest of it. He needs to hear from now on. That's why he's coming. And it was just so neat how the Lord worked that out. At the end of six weeks, Monoa, along with 39 other Besodios up there, placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, you guys, I want you to know, Monoa right now has got 20-20 vision because Monoa is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is with the Lord. You know what happened very shortly after we went up there? An epidemic hit Besodio land. An epidemic. I don't know what it was. Some kind of a virus, some kind of a flu. But a number of people that lived up there in that area lost their lives. Young people. This, this one guy, sharp as a tack. Uh, he's, he's with the Lord today. But you know what, you guys? I, I thought, what if we didn't go? What if after day one, I'm, I'm honest, my feet were hurt. I've never wanted to go back like that. I honestly wanted to. What if we didn't go? You know what? Those people, instead of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be spending eternity separated from God. I'm not saying it. God's word says it, my friends. They would be spending eternity separated from the living God. Uh, I praise God to this day that we didn't turn back. And please, this is not a pat on this back right here. It was God who encouraged us. It was my coworker who encouraged me. And, and I'm so thankful that we went and God brought those people to himself. Um, this morning, my friends, we're talking about a segment of society that remains needing to be reached. These people existed at the time when Paul received that vision in Macedonia. They were alive back there at that time. But unlike the Macedonians, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, and the Philippians, unlike them, these people are still living unreached today. They're still living. If you can believe, this is 2000. The, the Great Commission was given 2,000 years ago. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Do you know when that was? That was 2,000 years ago. How are we doing? You know what? When I became a member of New Tribes Mission, there was something that captivated my heart. And do you know what it was? It was 2,500 tribes without the gospel. Do you know what they say today with better technology? They're saying it's closer to 3,000. How are we doing? That was 2,000 years ago. Today, still 3,000 tribal groups around the world that are still without the gospel. And I'm going to share with you why I think that is. I'm going to, I'm going to, and I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm going to not hold back anything here. But I want you to know why I think these people groups are still unreached in the year 2009, 2,000 years after the Great Commission. The first one, I honestly believe, is because of location. Uh, it's hot. The, the jungles are hot, and there's malaria, and it's steamy, and it, it's not necessarily a fun place to live. Uh, I, I think that's one of them. And then we've got some of our missionaries that are working up in Siberia. And it's miserably cold. And you don't see the sun except for a couple of months, few months of the year. Miserable, you guys. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons. Tribal people live in basically pretty miserable places. And they're, they're still living there today. And there's malaria and there's dengue fever and there's other d diseases. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, 
As we travel, there's a couple of places that we've been going to every year. We're living in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if I mentioned this last week or not. I'm ashamed of this statistic. Ashamed of it. Did you know that in Chiang Mai, Thailand, there are more missionaries than there are national believers in all of Thailand? Did you, did you catch that? There are more missionaries in Chiang Mai than there are national believers throughout the country. Do you know why? It's a great place to live. It's, it's wonderful. There's not gobs of them that are really living out in the tribal areas. You know another great place for missionaries? Kunming, China. And that's, that's where our missionaries were going through orientation when, when we first began our work up there. Do you know what other mission groups would tell us? They would say, Bob, don't let your missionaries learn how to speak Mandarin in Kunming. It's a black hole. It sucks you in and you don't want to leave. It's nice. McDonald's, KFC, Carrefour, you name it. It's, it's there. It's a great place. Gobs of missionaries there. But you know what? There's tribal areas all around the periphery where it's not as nice. And there's no one there working with these tribes, working with tribalers. This is China, my friend. Tribes numbering in the millions. I was with the Zhuang people. 18 million Zhuang people. Not one translation of the word of God in their language. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. And that's why people are not as willing. Another great one, Hyderabad, India. Lots of missionaries there. But tribal areas we, we can't get into. Another one is isolation. Uh, man, I, I think any of you that have been around me this week have noticed that Bob Kettle loves to eat. I love going to restaurants. I, I love sports. I love these things. You know what? We miss that. Isolation. These things aren't there out in the tribal areas. You know a biggie? You know one of the greatest statistics on where a missionary will go today is the internet there. Really, isn't that amazing? If they do not have internet access, it's really hard to get folks to go out there. I, I, we, were, we were just in Malaysia and having lunch with a, with a young man and he said, okay, when you go back to Papua New Guinea, what's the internet going to be like? We said, well, it, it ain't there. He said, what? How can you do that? How can you go there if you don't have the internet? About 10 times, he just kept shaking his head. No internet? No, there isn't. There, it, it's, it's not there. We can do email. We don't. They, it, it's, it's hard. That's one of the things. Literally, in, in mission statistics, that's one of the controlling factors. No internet, no work there. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. Another one, another factor, unlearned, unwritten languages. If you want to learn Spanish, Portuguese, French, Italian, you go down and you buy a book and you buy the tapes or go attend a class. You know what? When you go out to Bisorio land and Malamanda land, you point at sticks and stones and body parts and you write it down and you go back and memorize it and it's a different kettle of fish, my friends. But that's something that restricts people going because it's hard. It, it, it's a hard deal. Uh, not having the word of God to be able to sit there and present to them. Family issues. Education of children. Man, my, my wife 
talked about our kids. I remember once when the kids had gone up to school and I went up there and I was going to be there. I'd been up there for a couple of weeks and my last weekend there, I let Carrie and Christy come and stay with me in my little guest house. And the morning rolls around and I'm, I'm getting ready to, to go get on the plane. And so I've got to take the kids and say goodbye to them. And my little Christy just started bawling. And she put her arms around my legs and said, Daddy, Daddy, please don't leave me. And my heart was jerked out. And I said, Noby, never again will I come up here alone. Never again. I can't take it. But literally, you guys, it, it tore my heart out. It tore my heart out. Five minutes later, she's running down the hill and having fun with her friends. But it's hard, you guys. And we lose a lot of missionaries. And a lot of places are without the word of God. And I think a part of it is over family issues. I know we've lost some over some of these things. But you know, one of the greatest, what I would state is the greatest reason why these people remain unreached. It's because it is just, there, there's, there's no one that's going. There's no one that's going. That's why these places are remaining unreached. It's not because people don't know about them. It's because maybe for a compilation of all these things put together, people aren't going. We need more personnel. Um, you saw some pictures of, of some places that Nobi and I have traveled around and, and had the opportunity to visit. Uh, one of my favorites, you saw that beautiful church there in Russia. Love it, love it. St. Basil's Cathedral. We've gone to some neat places. We've been able to experience some neat things. Traveled thousands of miles by air, trains, boats, and planes. I mean, we've, we've, we've done it all. But you know the thing that's hardest, the thing that has been absolutely the hardest is when we go to these places and we meet the people. Um, we were in Russia, and we went out to this little village in Hakazia. Uh, traveled all day by, by car. This, this uh, Russian taxi driver was a madman. I, I thought either he was trying to commit suicide or kill us. I didn't know which. It started snowing as we began. The roads were getting icier and slippier, slip, more slippery. And he puts the pedal to the metal and he's driving along and I'm praying, Lord, just keep us alive till we get to the end. We got up to this location and we got out of this car and the snow now is, is about six, eight inches tall. And these two Russians come walking up there and I'm with a, a fellow who could speak Russian. They come walking up, gave us the Russian greeting. And then this fellow says, my name is is Victor. And I live here in this village without hope. That was his greeting. That was his greeting to us. My name is Victor. And I live here in this village without hope. And we went later and we saw some government officials and, and we talked to them. And they said, you guys, if you've got anything that you can offer to our Hakazia people, then please come here and live with us and help them. They're controlled by sex. They're controlled by alcohol. Highest suicide rate in the world here in this area. Murder, fighting, rampant. If you have anything that you can offer our people, 
then come here and live with, in this area. Um, we, we, tra- we, we live in the, in the middle of a Buddhist nation, and we go to Cambodia, and we go to Myanmar, and we see these people that are bowing to, to idols, bowing to images made of gold, and they're living without hope, and, and they believe. They believe if we live good enough and if we burn incense and if we pray to Buddha and if we wear these amulets around our neck to keep the spirits away, our next life will be a better one. That's their hope. That's their hope. After I die in the misery of this life, maybe my next life will be a better one. And they they believe in in, um, reincarnation. And what they want to be, sorry ladies, they want to be a man. And then, not only a man, they want to be a wealthy man. And they want to be a wealthy man with light skin, because that gives you status. And it's so sad. And you know what the ultimate goal is? The ultimate goal is to go into nothingness. Isn't that sad, you guys? That's their hope. And they're taught, don't question Don't question your religion. Accept it with joy. That's that's life for the Buddhist people. And then we work with the Hindus and they're radical. Our friends from India here could tell us much better than I can. They're radical in their beliefs. Radical. And they've got millions, not a god and not some gods, millions, over a million gods that they worship. And they're dying And they're going into a Christless eternity. Millions of them. 1.2 billion people in India. The number of true born-again believers, very, very small. Animists. The Bisodios were animists. Uh, You know what? There, There are many people in these other religions as well that are animists, that are worshiping things that God made and worship trees. Uh, our Bisodios believed in thousands of spirits and they lived in fear of them. Um, after the Bisodios came to Christ, my wife is starting to give me the signals. She gives me signals. When I get off track, I get this one. That means, Bob, you're on a bunny trail. Bring it back home. When she starts fiddling with her watch, it's uh, time to start wrapping up. Pastor said I can go till 12 o'clock. Thank you, ma'am. So anyway, we're, don't worry. I'm going to cut it short here in just a minute. Hang with me. But after the Bisodios came to Christ, these animistic people knock at the door one evening, right after they became believers, knock at the door and I turn around and look, Noby and I and the girls just getting ready to sit down and eat. There's uh, about five Bisodio men and they looked agitated. And one of them, you will not remember it, he was wearing this round thing on the center of his chest. Uh, his name is Hadibayo. And he came to the door and he said, I want to ask you a question. And I said, Noby, you guys go ahead and eat. It looks like this may take just a little while. But I walk out there and he says, I've got some questions for you. How long have they known this message back in the United States? I want to know, how long have they known back there? I said, Many, many years I could have tried to count the way they count, but he would not have understood. 200 years would mean nothing. But tried to tell him many, many years. He said, okay, how long has missions been in this country? And I said, about 70 years maybe. He said, how long has New Tribes Mission been here? Man, since... 
since the 40s, 50s, you know, trying to relate how many years. He said, can you tell me one thing? Just one thing. If this message that you're telling us is as important as you say, can you tell me why are we just hearing now? Why is it Why is it that they're coming up now? <laughs> no, his question is, why are we just hearing now? If it's as important as you say, why didn't someone come and tell us earlier? Why is it that someone didn't come and tell my mom and dad who died? And you say they're going to a place called the place of fire. If they didn't believe in Jesus, they never heard of Jesus. Why are we just hearing now? You know what? I tried to tell him, well, we're here now. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't cut it, you guys. It didn't cut it. If they've known for so long, why are we just hearing now? Um, you know why Nobi and I are going back to Malamanda? It's because we couldn't take it anymore, you guys. I, I'm serious. I, I enjoyed the traveling. I honestly did. I loved it. But when you go to these places and you see people dying and going into a Christless eternity, you know what? We, we couldn't take it anymore. We, we've got to go back and we've got to be involved in them. I'm just going to close uh, so that my wife will not have to worry about that watch any longer. Romans chapter 10. Please turn with me over there. I'm just going to read a few verses. Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 15. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My friends... How can they believe in the one that they have not heard about? And how can they believe? How can they ever hear without someone going to them? My challenge for you, my friends, my challenge for you is please keep praying. Keep praying the Lord of the harvest that he will continue to send forth labors. Because you know what, you guys? The job isn't done. The job is not done. And I say this to our shame. I say this to the shame of the church of Jesus Christ that's known for 2,000 years and we still have not yet completed the task. Please keep praying the Lord of the harvest. And I say to you also, please remain ascending body. Man, don't be satisfied with Bob and Noby out there and the Weningers and the others that are out there supported by this church. That's not enough because there are still many who have not heard the gospel. Please, please, Grace Bible Church, 
remain ascending body. And for you, and we're going to pray with you in this, we're going to pray that you will remain faithful in reaching out to those that are around you. Because you know what? You do have a mission. I'm not letting you off from the Great Commission. Don't, don't take that. I'm not letting you off. Keep sending. But as you are here, remain faithful in your Jerusalem where you're serving. Remain faithful in taking the opportunities that God brings your way to share the good news of the gospel that don't have to be in the jungle to die and go into a crisis eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning again for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for its power. We thank you for the way that by your grace you worked in our hearts and lives. You, you allowed us to recognize the fact that we're sinners, that we're everyone, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Lord, you allowed us to find out about the fact that you've got a son called the Lord Jesus Christ that died on the cross for our sins. And we can be raised in a Christian nation without ever truly knowing the Savior. Lord, I thank you today that I know the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for the fact that I know that one day I will stand before him and I will worship him with thousands upon thousands. Father, make us faithful in sharing with those that don't know the truths of your word. Lord, I, I pray for faith by, for Grace Bible Church here. Lord, I pray that the members will be faithful in sharing with their friends, that they'll be faithful in being witnesses, that they'll be faithful in being an ascending body around the world. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.